Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. You know, the problem with um, the summer holidays is it can often feel like it's an end of term, can't it? Even though church continues and we come here to worship God. And today I'm actually going to add to that end of term feel. Because when I knew I was going to preach today, way back in January or whenever the rota was done, I had a pretty good idea of what I was going to preach on. But God's got a way of um, changing things, hasn't he? To say the least. And Caris's school put on a presentation of Joseph this year. And when I was at that produ- production, um, I started finding that like most parents there, I was probably getting a tad emotional. But I wasn't just getting emotional because our little girl was up there dancing away to her heart's content. What actually was getting me emotional was the actual story itself. Because I realised something. That often when we come to look at the Bible, we try to extract as much meaning from every word as possible. And we focus on very little detail when we preach. And often, it's at the expense of a fantastic story. You know, what Hollywood called the greatest story ever told. The Bible is a fantastic read. So I'm going to do something a little different today. I'm not going to read out a scripture and then pull it to pieces and explain it. What I'm actually going to do today is tell you the story about a boy who was destined for greatness. A boy whose brothers wanted him dead. A boy who was blessed with an incredible gift, but who suffered from a terrible character flaw. I'm actually going to tell you the story of Joseph. Because I was that inspired, I thought, this is a story that deserves to be told. So we'll begin way, way back many centuries ago, not long after the Bible began. Jacob lived in the land of Canaan, a fine example of a family man. And that's how the song goes, isn't it? That's our introduction to Jacob. But who was Jacob? Jacob is a man that was quite blessed by God. He was going to be the father of a great nation. He was going to be the father of a great number of people who would own a great land. And this was given to him in a vision at Bethel. And in fulfilment of that, he was sent out to go and find a suitable wife. And the story goes that he went down to one of his kinsmen, Laban, and he fell in love with Laban's youngest daughter, Rachel. And he says to Laban, if I serve you for seven years, will you give me Rachel as my wife? And Laban agrees to it. But then, 
after the seven years, Laban tricks him because it's not right that the youngest daughter should go before the oldest daughter. So in the night, in the dark, the older daughter Leah goes and lays with Jacob. And in the morning, when light reveals the trickery, Jacob's just a little bit upset about this. You know, he's worked for seven years for his pay and finds out that he's been tricked. And he then ends up having to work another seven years so they can marry Rachel. The outcome of the marriages is that between the two women and two of their slaves, because it was customary if a woman couldn't conceive, she would get a slave to go and bear children, Joseph ended up with 12 sons. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Isaac, and Zebulun were all born to Leah. Dan and Naphtali came from Rachel's servant Bilhah. Leah's servant Zilpah gave birth to Gad and Asher, and Joseph and Benjamin, eh, Benjamin sorry, were born to Rachel, who actually died shortly after Benjamin was born. And the story goes that Jacob loved Joseph more than any of the other sons because he was a son who was fathered late on in Joseph's life, eh, Jacob's life, sorry. And to show his favoritism for him, he made him a coloured coat. He displayed his favoritism for his son. He made him stand out. And you can imagine how the other brothers would feel. I mean, I don't know if anyone ever grew up in a family where there was favoritism. But, whilst one person might feel great about the favoritism that's going on, the rest of them are like kicking about. There he goes again. What's so special about him? You know, why is he always favoured? How hard have we got to try before we get some recognition? And it says that the brothers hated Joseph. And that they couldn't speak anything peacefully towards him. Imagine having a relationship like that with your brothers. Where any time you spoke to them. They just cursed you. Things got a bit worse as well. Because Joseph had a gift from God. Joseph could dream. And he could interpret dreams. So when Joseph gave him a couple of dreams that said that the brothers would bow down and worship to him and in one of the dreams that not only the brothers would bow down and worship but his father and mother also which would have been Leah because Rachel was dead at this point you can imagine how they would react to that. You know, what do you mean we're going to bow down in front of you? Isn't it bad enough that dad thinks the sun shines from you and here's you telling us that we're going to bow down to you it's not a good feeling even his father who loved him chastised him when he heard the vision about him and his wife bowing down to Joseph but the Bible says however Jacob kept the dream in his heart Jacob knew there was something special about Joseph And he held on to these dreams because he knew God had given Joseph something. 
the big problem was that God had a plan for Joseph but Jacob had introduced some character flaws into Joseph in his upbringing the main character flaw being pride so eventually the brothers went out and they were tending sheep supposedly in one place but they actually moved to another and Jacob sends Joseph who was at home doing whatever to go find them and report back to him and when they saw him coming they thought this is great this is our opportunity to get rid of him let's kill him and we'll tell the father that a wild beast killed him so they're making these plots but then Reuben speaks up and says no there's a well over there let's not kill him let's just throw him down the well and he'll perish then there's no blood on our hands we know all we've done thrown him down the well but the Bible says Reuben did that because he wanted to go back and rescue him and take him to his father again because Reuben could associate with the father and see how much it would hurt the father to lose Jacob so although they hated them there was still something there he was kin so anyway they throw him into the well and then there's a caravan of Ishmaelites come by and they suddenly realise hang on why are we throwing him down a well to die when we can actually make some money out of this so they sell Joseph for 20 shekels and Joseph gets taken away to Egypt and whilst he's on his way to Egypt the brothers go back home having taken the coloured coat ripped it and covered it in blood so they can go and tell their father or ask their father do you recognise this coat knowing full well that he would and then saying we can only guess that he was taken by a wild beast because we couldn't find him he's dead Jacob's lost his favourite son the grief that goes with that meanwhile down in Egypt Joseph gets sold to Potiphar <coughs> Potiphar is an officer in Pharaoh's army a captain we're told in those days captains were very senior positions it's not like the modern army where we have a lot of positions above them captain would have been one of the senior positions Joseph makes the best of his situation he serves Potiphar really well and God blesses Joseph in that position and through God blessing Joseph Potiphar's household is blessed and Potiphar trusts Joseph enough that he puts him in charge of everything nothing is out of um, Joseph's control he's got complete control over Potiphar's affairs but unfortunately as is the case with a lot of um, successful men nowadays there was a bored housewife at home looking for ways to fill her time and when she looked at this young Joseph she looked on him and thought yeah he looks a good way to fill my time and she tried to seduce him but Joseph was too loyal to Potiphar to fall for her ways and Potiphar's wife soon got tired of being rejected and she framed Joseph in an attempt to escape from her 
Joseph ran. But as he ran, she grabbed his clothing and it came off in her hands. She then showed it to Potiphar and said, Look, he tried to humiliate me, he tried to laugh at me, whilst you were gone. Potiphar gets furious at this, but because of the blessing that's happened to him since he's met um, Joseph, he throws him into jail, he spares his life and throws him into prison. Now, if you think about Joseph's circumstances, they seem to be going from bad to worse. And there was one song in the musical that actually really hit a chord with me because as I thought about this position that Joseph found himself in, I realised that Tim Rice, when he wrote the words, he must have really got close to the situation that Joseph found himself in because the words are fantastic. The guy's there despair in despair. You know, he knows that God's had these promises for him. But how far away do these promises seem now that people, his own brothers, are going to bow down and worship when he's wasting away in a jail down here? And the verses of the song say this. Listen closely to it. It says, Close every door to me. Hide all the world from me. Bar all the windows and shut out the light. Do what you want with me. Hate me and laugh at me. Darken my daytime and torture my night. If my life were important, I would ask, will I live or die? But I know the answers lie far from this world. Close every door to me. Keep those I love from me. Children of Israel are never alone. For I know I shall find my own peace of mind. For I have been promised a land of my own. Just give me a number instead of my name. Forget all about me and let me decay. I do not matter. I am only one person. Destroy me completely. Then throw me away. If my life were important, I would ask whether I live or die. But I know the answers lie far from this world. It's a song of despair, isn't it? How much hope could Joseph have had at that time? And that more than any song in the whole thing really struck a chord with me and brought it back to the biblical story because it had dealt with Joseph's pride and steps. You know, had God put him into a position where his brothers were going to worship him without dealing with this, he could have thought he got there by his own strength. Even when God was blessing him in Potiphar's house, he could still have thought when things happened later on that he got there in his own strength. But by continually pulling away the rug from under Joseph's feet, there's a humiliation comes in that no matter how hard Joseph tries, it's no guarantee that he's going to get on. God is in control. So there's Joseph in jail, desperate. Not only has he been rejected and betrayed by his brothers, but now he's been framed and wrongly imprisoned. You know, what hope at this stage could Joseph possibly have? He knew God's promises. 
as the song says, he knew that children of Israel are never alone. God was with him. He knew that God was in control. That had been his upbringing. He knew the promises that God had made his father. And he knew that he was part of those promises. He had his faith to hold on to. Even in the darkest times. And as he was in jail. God was already starting to elevate Joseph to a high place. And to print about the fulfillment of Joseph's dreams. Unlikely as it seemed at that time. But first he'd had to deal with the character issues. Whilst he was in prison, God arranged for Joseph to meet the right people. Now, I work in, um, in businesses and I've worked in the public and private sector. And what amazes me is you'll always see people who try to get on by trying to get themselves noticed by bosses and always seeming to put themselves into meeting where bosses are. And yet, after 20 odd years, I've come to realise that it's not getting yourself in front of people that gets you recognition. It's who you network with and what you achieve that gets you the recognition. Because bosses are more interested in people who are performing than people who are always in front of them. Who you network with is very important. It doesn't matter that you happen to know the chief executive and can say hello to him. If you can get in with people who can get things done and make things happen, then recognition starts coming your way. So God threw Joseph into prison because he wanted to introduce him to a couple of characters. One a baker, one a cupbearer. Both of them had been given dreams. The cupbearer had a dream where he was pressing grapes and turning it into wine and serving it to Pharaoh. And Joseph says, that's a great dream. Pharaoh's going to set you free. You're going to be a free man in three days. The baker has a dream where he's baked bread, but the birds come down and they take it from him. And Joseph says, oh, glad I'd never had that dream because Pharaoh's decided your fate as well. You know, the cupbearer's going to be raised up and restored. But you're going to be raised up too. By the neck. <coughs> Not exactly what he'd like to hear. But it came to pass. It happened. Just the way Joseph said it would. Joseph said to the cupbearer, Remember me. Because it was Joseph's chance to get out. A man being restored to Pharaoh. Remember me. Put in a good word for me. And do you know what happened? The cupbearer didn't mention him. For two years, he didn't mention Joseph to Pharaoh. But the Bible says he didn't forget him either. He's still in prison for another two years. And then Pharaoh started to have dreams. Dreams of fat cows being eaten by lean cows. 
And he's desperate for an interpretation of this dream. And at that point, the cupbearer goes, Oh yeah, I know a guy that can do that. When I was in prison, I met this guy, Joseph. Oof, that was two years ago, though. I don't even know if he's still alive. I've not been in contact with him. Pharaoh sends for him. And true to form, Joseph interprets the dream. The fat cows are seven years of plenty. There's going to be loads of harvest, loads of food. And it's going to be the best of times. But they're going to be followed by seven years of famine. And of course, because Pharaoh's been pre-warned, he gets the opportunity to then store the food from the good times to see them through the bad times. And because Joseph was the one who interpreted it and could understand what God's will was, he raises Joseph up to an even higher position than he was in Potiphar's house. Just like he had full control over Potiphar's affairs, Pharaoh gives him full control over the affairs in Egypt. He's got to plan for this harvest and plan for the famine. And he becomes this great man in Egypt. Second only to Pharaoh, who in Egyptian culture would have been worshipped as a god. So the seven good years came. The grain stores got filled. Then the famine hit. It didn't just hit in Egypt. It hit throughout the region. Jacob and Joseph's brothers start to suffer. They've not had the warning that Pharaoh had. They've not had the opportunity to store up the food because they just thought the good times are here. It's great. In desperation they decide to go to Egypt because they've heard that food is plentiful down there. So Jacob sends some of his sons down to Egypt to go and see if they can buy food. And Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him because he's now dressed like an Egyptian. He's probably painted like the Egyptians painted themselves. And they've not seen him for how many years? We're not actually told how much he's developed from a boy into a man. And certainly, they wouldn't have been expecting to see Joseph, who was sold as a slave, now running the show. So they go before him. The dream's fulfilled. They bow before him and beg to be sold grain. Joseph recognizes them. And he knows how dire things must be for his family if they're coming down to Egypt. So he tricks them into getting the family down there. First, he asks to see the younger brother. He asks, are you all the sons? No, then bring your younger brother, Benjamin. Then he frames Benjamin by placing stolen goods into a sack that Benjamin's carrying so that he can keep Benjamin there knowing that that will be enough to get the father down. And sure enough, they all come down to Egypt and they're saved from the famine. 
Joseph's vision is fulfilled. God's promise to Jacob, God's promise to Abraham, God's promise of this mighty nation and people is kept safe through the famine. This remnant is safe in Egypt where food is plentiful. Joseph, for his part, has a total character change as well. Because in seeing his brothers, he rejoices. He forgives them. Now remember, the last time he saw his brothers, they were plotting ways to kill him. Then they sold him off to be a slave. But God had been working out Joseph's life. And he turned him into the person that God had intended Joseph to be. Not the person that Jacob had made him. He turned Joseph in into a real man of God with a purpose that wasn't that people should bow down to him, but that he was there to save the remnant and save the promises. Had Joseph not been sold into slavery, there's every chance that that clan would have just died out. Because it would have been very hard for a single clan to store food during a famine and retain it. It's much easier for a strong nation like Egypt to protect its stores than it is for a family. Everyone was safe. And as the story goes, it's a really good story. But there are some important lessons to learn from it as well. And the first thing is, that when God gives us a gift, it's not because of who we are. Gifts are given freely. You know, if you think about the young Joseph, he was a spoiled little brat, wasn't he? For want of a better phrase. And when God gave him his gift then, he did with it exactly like he did without anything else. He just rubbed it into his brother's faces. You know, look what I've got now. A gift then isn't based on our ability to handle it. It's based on a free will gift from God. Something else we've got to remember is that God's in control and that all things work together for his glory. Despite how Joseph was, God knew he could make him into the man he was meant to be. So although he had the gift in, God was still working in him and changing him so that the gift in could actually be used for the purpose it was meant to be used for. And something else is the power of forgiveness. Now can you imagine being one of the brothers and you've gone down begging for grain and Joseph suddenly reveals himself. You know, it's been a leader over one of the most powerful nations, or if not the most powerful nation at that time, in that area. How would you have felt thinking, we were going to kill this guy, we threw him down a well, we sold him to be a slave. How is he going to react to us now? Often, when people do wrong to us, They're frightened to come back to us because they don't know how we're going to react. If we're of a forgiven nature, then it has an incredible impact on other people. 
And the only other point I'm going to print out here is this. That by reading the story and not looking for the final detail, we can enjoy some sweeping stories from the Bible and we can start printing to life the great people of God and not just the theology behind them. There's fantastic characters in the Bible. Guys like Gideon. You know, guys like Jonathan, David. Superb stories. So as you start reading your Bible over the summer, or continue reading your Bible over the summer, why not actually take a step back and read the stories as stories and enjoy what God's passed down to us and then come back ready for us to start doing more teaching on theology. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 